0: Well, not quite. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to FinTech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy meet. And I'm your host, Chris Brummer. The future of finance is now. We're in for a treat today. We have the head of the European Securities and Markets Authority, Stephen Mayor, who agreed to a rare US-based conversation with me at Georgetown University Law Center. Now, Mr. Mayor is one of the European Union's top regulators, and he's responsible for kickstarting the process of rulemaking for the entire trade block, which makes him just the person to talk to about Europe's emerging views on fintech. It's also extremely rare to have someone in his position talk to a US audience especially while he's overseas. To make the most of the opportunity, we've asked him to talk about two of the most challenging issues relating to transatlantic fintech. First, I wanted to talk about Europe's emerging regulations on cryptocurrencies because the European Union is in some ways ahead of the United States in beginning the process of regulating cryptocurrencies that are not deemed to be traditionally falling within the jurisdiction of regulators. Additionally, he'll be talking about clearinghouses, those post-financial crisis entities that are charged with using their technology to track transactions between banks and to ensure that money tied to those obligations is delivered from one bank to another. Now, clearinghouses are major global corporations, and as such, there are big debates about whether a US-based clearinghouse operating in Europe should be regulated by only US regulators or by both U.S. and European regulators. And given the amount of money tied to those transactions, over $400 trillion, yeah, trillion dollars, disagreements on the topic have graced the front pages of the world's leading newspapers. We'll wrap up our podcast with our new Chris's World segment, connecting pop culture to fintech. In it, I'll be talking about how Europe's approach to fintech can be analogized to the Game of Thrones. But don't worry, I promise, no spoilers. So let's get to the interview. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for coming here. Uh, as you can see, there's uh, quite a bit of interest in what's happening in Europe, and an appreciation for how many of those decisions can impact uh, the, Euro- the American marketplace, both the securities marketplace and the derivatives marketplace, and the fintech marketplace. Where do, you, where do things stand at this, at this moment?
1: Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Chris, and, uh, and very good to be here. And thank you very much for the uh, invitation to be at uh, Georgetown University the um so uh, as you probably are aware so at, in Europe obviously we're, we're coming from a history with uh, a large number of uh, different financial markets and basically there's been work in the EU in the in the past you know going back to basically 40 years trying to integrate these these financial markets and 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 it goes back to the whole notion is that when you have skill when you have, bigger integrated capital markets that ultimately that would be uh, beneficial if it is a financial instrument you know if it looks like a financial instrument you should treat it like a financial instrument and ultimately that is a a a, a supervisory judgment although there are small differences across the member states what is precisely a financial instrument which is quite surprising to some extent if you look at from a distance you know if you want to integrate capital markets at least you want to have the same a definition of what a financial instrument is but by and large we have uh, reasonably common definitions Around that typically there needs to be transferability there needs to be a profit, right? And so what we have done is in the exercise uh, in, in the era of crypto assets We have asked basically our, our national regulators here are six examples of crypto assets would you qualify those as as uh, financial instruments yes or no and basically Depending on the type of crypto asset it was, whether it was utility type, whether it's payment type or whether it's investment type, there was commonality on a number of them uh, being uh, needing to be uh, qualified and described as a financial instrument that brings you to the logic that if it's like a financial instrument you should regulate it like a financial instrument that has far-reaching implications because once you are a financial instrument you are pulled in the whole regulatory world so we're not only talking about possibly a prospectus not only talking about uh, clearing we're we're talking about can it be used by asset managers and so that is a big decision once it is a a financial instrument but we took the position if it's a financial instrument is it has the same characteristics, uh, characteristics It should be regulated and supervised like a financial instrument so national supervisors are now moving in that that direction and so we know that now a number of them have been vetted under their their national systems as a financial instrument and so they are brought within the regulatory remit I think the big question is and maybe being a bit critical on, on the development to what extent will it survive once it needs to meet the regulatory requirements, or to frame it in a different way, to what extent was it successful because it, it was outside of the regulatory remit, by bringing it in, into the regulatory remit, can it be, you know, because, some of it might be, some of the benefits might have been related precisely to avoid regulation.
0: Well, certainly in the United States we have a very similar conversation going on. Uh, When you say financial instrument, we're thinking, is it a security or is it not a security? And obviously, if a a financial instrument or a a cryptocurrency is a security, then you're brought into the wonderful world of our colleagues across the street over at the Securities and Exchange Commission. You don't have the same degree, perhaps, of jostling and competition in terms of building up local financial markets as perhaps in, in the European Union where there's a real interest by some of the member states to enter early into the space and, and in financial innovation more, more, more generally in order to build up their financial centers. How is it and what, what kind of guidance can ESMA play in helping to facilitate that, particularly in a world where you're also dealing with, with Brexit and, and the folks in the UK seeking to create their own financial centres? Okay. Uh, so th-
1: these are many many different issues in in, in uh, one question. So so first of all, generally, and for those of, of you who, who don't know ESMA that well, so we are a European body, and while day-to-day supervision is typically still at a national level, although for some areas it is at our level, by entrance into one national market, you not only get entry to that financial market, you get entry to the whole of the 28th, and that create, you know, creates all kinds of incentive issues, to what extent that does that national regulator not only take into account the benefits for, for that uh, member state, or the risk to that member state, but also takes into the wider implications for the whole. Of Europe and so that is where basically ESMA comes in is to make sure that those national supervisory and regulatory decisions are there to make sure that the whole European perspective in taking in, into account to say it more bluntly you can see that there might be some incentives to build a financial center without you know necessary if most of the customers and clients are somewhere else in Europe not having sufficient focus on the risk that you might be creating instead focus on the you know, the benefits that a strong financial center might bring in terms of, uh, you know, developing uh, more economic activity, etc. And so there is an important role for us to ensure consistency uh, across, uh, across the EU. Maybe first go back to the crypto asset issue and then, because I think you all, all, also mentioned Brexit, if I uh, listened carefully. <laughs> uh, so first on crypto assets. So once it is determined to be A financial instrument we will we will try and we have some we have some instruments to make sure that the national regulators are as consistent as possible where we have seen some of the national financial centers trying to you know to to give a kind of a crypto asset flavor to their financial center and trying to uh, get that label the reality is that that is only possible for those Assets uh, crypto assets which are outside of which are not a financial instrument And so there's more freedom there because that is basically then for the national regulators to decide But there we have advice to the European Commission To say and to the to the EU political institutions uh, to say we need to have at least some risk warnings around those and AML There's been a lot already of discussions on AML because that is an era where where we see specific risk for uh, crypto assets going to the brexit issue where? And I think there are so many things to be said about Brexit, but I, I think you focused on the issue around regulatory competition and um, how do we ensure consistency. One area where you can sit, so to prepare for Brexit, what is happening is that um, financial market participants are relocating from the UK to the EU27 because they know that in the case of a no deal Brexit, or in the longer term when the when there is an orderly brexit is that there are problems in terms of the recognition of uk market participants you know having a license now in the uk is of course completely uh, recognized across the eu that will end uh, for certain uh, you know certainly in the case of a no deal brexit and so market participants are relocating from london to multiple financial centers Interestingly, it's not going there's not one big winner. It's going to different uh, centers. You can see doubling getting extractivity uh, Luxembourg uh, Paris uh, Frankfurt uh, Amsterdam, there's there's some specialization some focusing on asset management some on, on trading Venues where our interest is to make sure is that there is no regulatory competition in the sense that these re- relocations you can see the incentive to say come over here to my financial center. You will get the license for your entry to Europe, but you can do it with a very little uh, um, entity, uh, with very little substance. And obviously that is where ESMA comes in, and we say we need to make sure that we have common standards for receiving this business. Well, this is a natural uh, uh, shift uh, to a a set of questions with
0: clearinghouses. But before I get there, I did want to ask one question, which I find fascinating, and maybe you you could help. Uh, uh, clarify, Uh, in the United States, there are some conversations, particularly on the Hill, about um, cryptocurrencies that are not necessarily regulated or deemed to be securities from a a U.S. securities law perspective but still are sort of in this in-between zone and there's a sense that they should somehow be subject to... um, some kind of enhanced disclosures or or, or something of the like. Uh, But given just the way in which our regulatory process works, that kind of directive won't and couldn't come from the SEC because it's not within their mandate and it's not within their authority. And um, it's not coming from the CFTC either. And and, uh, CFTC Chairman Giancarlo has gone to the Hill to sort of ask for a bit more of that authority. Uh, To the extent to which, however, that lays within your authority uh, to, to look at some of those uh, crypto assets. Um, uh, I assume that that approach, whenever completed in concert between um, ESMA and the Commission and, and perhaps Parliament, that that would be for any such security within the block, and therefore it would be something that the rest of the world would have to think about um, uh, in terms of the approach taken, taken by Europe.
1: Yeah, so... To, if I'm, I'm not sure what I fully understand, so first of all, if we make EU law, obviously right. you know that is applicable all across. I'm trying to EU.
0: softly ask about extraterritoriality.
1: No, so right. okay, okay, so first of all, in the EU, um, is uh, you know all EU law is uh, once it is a regulation or a directive, it applies across the EU, and when it's a directive, there's some uh, this discussion how it's implemented, but it needs to be implemented when it's a regulation. Um, it, is, um, uh, it is directly um, uh, applicable. I think on the issue around what should we do for securities that are not, or sorry, crypto assets that, that look or smell or perceived by investors or retail investors no. like, an in, and like a financial instrument, like a f- investment, but in reality are, f- according to the legal definition, not, I think that is a very difficult area. Because on the one hand, we want to be careful to say, let's not legitimize it like a financial instrument. And so if you bring it into a kind of a bespoke regulatory regime, you want to be careful not to treat it like a full uh, uh, supervisory regulatory uh, framework. On the other hand, there's precisely the issue around there should be sufficient uh, risk risk, uh, indicators and to warn uh, retail consumers around when they would. By this, although in reality it would not be a um, a, a security on the issue of interesting the, the extraterritoriality. I, the of course extraterritoriality has a bad name, <laughs> uh, but in reality the, the flip side of this is is a level playing field between. It, it is the the flip side of having global markets and a level playing field. Uh, and so to to ex, you know to explain that better, if you are, if you have an open EU. Capital market where you allow uh, foreign marketplace to participate, which I think is completely right. You know, you want to have markets where there's broad participation, but you want to have a level playing field between the EU market players and the ones coming from outside the EU, uh, also, you know, participating in that capital market providing services. That is a level playing field. Then what is the implication is that you would say okay? You can provide your services in the EU you can you know, we can talk about clearing we can talk about uh, You know trading venues we we can talk about uh, asset management different areas But you would basically say if you provide services in the EU that's fine coming from outside But you need to live by the same rules for the EU clients. Obviously it would not be around giving obligations for non-EU clients. But that, of course, is you know, in the popular term seen as extraterritoriality, because it goes back to questions then outside the EU. If we want to provide those clients, that means you know, we have seen it with unbundling. Mm. Unbundling was the, is the separation of execution and research Uh, in the case of um, uh, research provided by uh, brokers uh, to uh, to their asset managers we have asked for unbundling the only thing we ask is that if there would be for example brokers from outside the EU providing services to EU asset managers is to say it cannot be the case that as a non-EU provider uh, and broker you don't have to unbundle while the EU broker has to unbundle. You would say you need to do it. You need to live by those rules. But obviously that has raised the debate here in the US, which is still ongoing uh, on, uh, you know, to what extent should that be a a common model. Um, And I think it's part of being a global market. You know, it is an implication of having global markets and wanting to have a level playing field. And of course, the more different the rules are on a national or regional basis, the bigger this issue is. And that's therefore, it's so important to try to get at least international global standards because the more you have them, the less there will be these kind of frictions. Well, one of
0: the most global industries is the clearing industry. Uh, and, and under your remit and authority lies this question of, of clearing houses, which service customers from around the world and trillions of dollars run through uh, 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 the world's clearing houses. Um, as you may know, um, CFTC Chairman uh, Christopher Giancarlo has, uh, uh, or at least plans to, to provide for a CFTC vote relatively soon, um, a mutual recognition package for non-United States uh, clearinghouses, but. Uh, allowing, in effect, uh, non-U.S. clearinghouses to to operate in the United States uh, to the extent to which they are deemed to be roughly um, equivalent or, or comparable to, um, or subject to regulatory regimes that are roughly comparable to that of the United States. But there is a condition uh, a- attached, and, and that condition is that in order to enjoy this kind of recognition, it would have to be, in effect, mutual, and that the non-U.S. clearinghouse uh, would have to be uh, operating in a country that provides that kind of recognition to the United States. Um, There are a lot of, there's a lot in that question too. Uh, What is your sense, uh, where does the equivalence process uh, stand now? And, and even before, if, if you wish, you know, maybe it's useful just to walk people through what are you thinking through, and, and, and what are your priorities um, at this point in time when you are, 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 are
1: trying to uh, operationalize uh, equivalence. So um, this is uh, much talked about uh, also, you know, today and, and uh, yes. yesterday. I was today at the uh, at the CFTC at the uh, MREK. Um, and, and also had some other meetings at the at the CFTC. So, I think it's important to have a bit of a history here. So, uh, Europe has had equivalence uh, mechanisms already for a number of years. And while it is a, and the, the implication of equivalence is that once equivalence is provided, is that the EU fully relies on the foreign regulator and the foreign uh, regulatory system, and so, uh, when equivalence is declared, basically the EU says uh, from those jurisdictions for this part of the market. So it's never equivalence across the board for the whole financial markets. It's, it's you know it's, it is it goes from uh, credit rating agencies to um, uh, to to clearing uh, for uh, trading venues, and, and they are slightly different. And so you need to look at a piece you know law by law what precisely uh, equivalence means. But generally, it means is that these foreign market participants can basically fully participate in the EU markets while the EU fully relies on the local, you know, the home country uh, rules and home country supervision. Generally, that is a good system, but you should also realize is that, ultimately, it, might, it gets to the point is that, as Europe, you have no tools at all, nothing, in such a situation to even say, mm-hmm. I want to have more information on debt market participants because they are very active in the EU. There might be certain risks and I want to understand what those risks are. And if I have seen those risks, I want to, uh, I want to address those risks or maybe have a supervisory tool to respond to those risks. And so the equivalence uh, uh, system as we have had until very recently, Is a system where the ultimate consequence is full reliance we're doing it we're doing it in various areas but you can understand and we have made a point already before brexit uh, that this is in some cases not the right model in some cases you want to be sure that you can assess the specific risks that might be coming from outside the EU from financial market participants from outside the EU for the EU because we're not sure whether that has the same priority in the uh, let's say in the ranking for that regulator in in the uh, in, in the other country, um, and so we start you know we have started to change our thinking on that, and obviously our thinking has accelerated because of Brexit. We know that the UK will continue to be, for the foreseeable foreseeable years, the most important financial market for the EU. Is it appropriate for a financial for a region uh, to? you need to rely on a financial center. Your main financial center is outside of your region. But in addition to that, if you would take the consequence of the current equivalent system, you need to fully rely on on the, the local regulators. They're very professional. We work very well with them. But also, is it from an incentive standpoint the right mechanism to have? That is the reason that we said we need to change our equivalent systems. And so you can see that in various parts of EU law, where this is changing so it's not only changing for ccps but for example it is also changing for investment firms there uh, a large number of investment firms from outside the eu providing their services in the eu and again equivalence would mean here fully full reliance uh, on the third country regulator and so that is the reason we have said we need to change the system
0: is there a sense as to when uh, that process will be fully completed in light of the timing created if for no other reason externally by by Brexit or a potential uh, departure from so,
1: so yeah. the so first of all all these equivalence decisions have been you know we have already done a large number of equivalence decisions regarding uh, regarding countries outside the EU, uh, EU for for CCPs we currently have 34 uh, third country CCPs recognised with ESMA so they can fully participate in in the EU market the the key next the key step would be of course which which will continue to be tier one, CCP's, and which would be eligible or need to be in the uh, tier two category, where you would have the the supervisory powers and the direct application uh, of EU law. The process we are in, we have just published our consultation papers on key elements of this law, which is around the the, the tiring and around the comparable compliance, so everybody can now react to those consultation papers. We uh, plan to give our advice to the Commission by the end of this year. Uh, and then the Commission has a maximum of one year to implement those delegated acts or to decide on their, their delegated acts and then after these delegated acts are there the actual uh, uh, decision on tier 1 tier 2 will start after that and so it depends a bit whether the Commission so they have a so we expect that the, the formal law will be uh, in the official journal by the end of this year that will from that moment on, the clock will start ticking uh, for the delegated act, the relevant laws that are especially relevant for third-country CCBs. Uh, the Commission needs to decide on these within a year, but they could get quicker if they, you know, if they can decide quicker. And then only after that we can start our process regarding tier one, tier two. We've started off with cryptocurrencies. Then we talked about clearinghouses, which are really the ultimate fintech
0: in many ways. Um, is the Are there uh, any agenda items right now relating to fintech, uh, to your knowledge, that are on the table when it comes to the development of the capital markets union?
1: Europe is a uh, financial system with a too large banking sector. Uh, We paid a high price for that. Uh, also in the financial crisis, I think you can make the point that having a better balance between the banking system and the non-banking system is that you can make the financial system uh, more stable. Um, and you will understand that in these discussions, the U.S. is uh, frequently mentioned as a, you know, the example where uh, you have much more successful, uh, well, the capital markets are much deeper and, and uh, big, play a bigger role in the, uh, in the economy and the financial system. We should we should do that. You know, we we should push for that. Europe has been working on it for um, uh, for many decades already, and so I'm sure that the next European Commission uh, will um, uh, again work on that. I think where technology comes in is where one area where we think uh, there needs to be much more improvement is around. Cheaper distribu- distribution of products to uh, retail consumers, uh, you know, s- more standardization, more robo uh, advice, uh, more transparency on costs. We would hope that technology uh, helps there to uh, you make sure that we get a better deal uh, for for the end consumer. Currently, as a consumer, we can see that in our day-to-day lives, is that there's been the biggest progress, at least how I see it, is, is in the payments area, our banking apps, how we can do the payments so much easier in our family, how we can uh, now get better deals in terms of when we are in the US and having a better uh, rate for exchanging uh, uh, the US dollar against the euro. And so in the payments area, we I, you can see, and I'm personally I experienced this as a client, how much progress there has been there. I can really see that there has been so much benefit to the consumer. I think that is w- not as far yet in securities markets, but there I would hope that in terms of Standardisation of advice, making it more inclusive advice, which is available for um, uh, also people with a smaller purse, uh, and more transparency of financial products that there, especially technology can help. Other areas there is where, of course, we're working on is, is things like uh, cloud issues. Uh, supervisory issues are very um, um, important for us. Cybersecurity risks are important for us. We're working on that. Um, and that would be stop at here. the capital
0: markets union level? Well,
1: on the, I think on the capital markets union, especially I, I think the distribution, cheaper distribution, more trans- transparent distribution. I would, you know, we have seen in so many parts of our lives how services have improved because of technology. Uh, securities markets have been uh, lagging uh, a bit there. Uh, and, and I think it, it would be, that is the area where I see the opportunity.
0: And now we're going to shift to our new segment called Chris's World, where the intersection of popular culture and fintech meet. Before talking to Stephen Mayor, I had to say that the European Union from time to time resembles a bit of Game of Thrones. Now I'm not going to ruin it for people who haven't watched it, just like many of you, I watched the last episode a couple of days late i had to stay away from social media i couldn't look at any of the news from other major media sources that were giving it all away but just just hang for me, with me for just just a moment as you think about it so game of thrones you have different shifting coalitions and usually designed to go against a certain bad guy or bad person right and the european union is very similar. They have an objective, say they're trying to tackle money laundering or problems with market integrity or whatever. And they wanna go after their Night King. But just like Game of Thrones, the coalitions can shift. And in order to accommodate shifting preferences, different coalitions, and obviously when you talk about FinTech, evolving technology and and growing economic stakes, you're gonna have to have a very strong, uh, guiding, soothing hand like Esma, which, though valiant at times, isn't exactly the Iron Throne or the Iron Bank. So I think that the story of crypto asset regulation is really something that's just beginning, and we're really gonna have to see how this story ultimately plays out. But, like everybody else in the industry, I'll be tuned in. Chris Brummer. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you. Feel free to email us at fintechbeat at cqrollcall.com or tweet to at Brummer dr. That's at chrisbrummerdr. Join us next time on Fintech Beat, produced by CQ Roll Call.